Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Art Basel is a global institution comprising three very different art fairs, one in Switzerland, one in Miami Beach, and the forthcoming fair in Hong Kong, which opens on March 24th. Hong Kong director Adeline Oya couldn't join us, but global director Mark Spiegler and director of the fair in the Americas, Noah Horowitz, got together to discuss these very different fairs and how all of these galleries join together in something like a federation and how that works. Mark, thank you for taking the time to do this interview. Thank you, Marianne, for having us. Noah, it's good to see you. As always. Mark, can we start by talking about all three fairs, just sort of walking through them, and maybe we should begin with the oldest and sort of most prestigious of them, the fair in Basel. Art Basel is the classic. It's one of the earliest fairs to begin, and, and most people would consider it the most important art fair in the world. I mean, especially when you come to the period of art history, which goes from 1900 to now, which is what what the limitation is that we have for all of our fairs. Um, it is a very international fair, obviously, but it's also a very European fair. And I think this is an important point in the sense that I think all of the fairs, all three fairs, Basel, Hong Kong, Miami Beach, are international fairs, but they are also fairs which are very much rooted in their region. And this happened organically in going to Miami Beach. Um, there was somewhat of an effort to recruit more Latin American galleries, more American galleries. Um, but when we went to Hong Kong, we really started studying how the two fairs, Miami Beach and Basel, were different from each other, and what that meant. And what we realized was that without setting any sort of goal, each fair was composed 50% of galleries from that region and 50% of galleries from the rest of the world. And the conclusion we drew from that, because these were both very successful fairs, the most dominant fair in their continent, or continents in the case of uh, Miami Beach, we realized that on the one hand, you want to have a fair which draws from all over the world, which represents a cross-section of the best galleries and artists from all over the world. And on the other hand, you want to have a show which is rooted in its region, which draws on the galleries and collectors from that region and draws support from that region. Um, but, but let's stick with Art Basel in Switzerland, because that is the most international fair in terms of its attendance as well. You, I, I'm sure, at least of the buying attendees, the, the percentage is very high of people who are not Europeans. Uh, and, and I'm sure many are attracted to the access to specific galleries, but also because the fair is vetted and it is considered a place, you know, the one time of the year, you're going to have access to the best work from these selected galleries. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, Art Basel is a fair for which many galleries plan all year long, and that's reflected in the booths. I think um, it's a fair where there's a long history of the committee being quite tough with galleries who they felt were underperforming. Um, it's a long, it's a fair where traditionally people have held back the mess material or commissioned new material from their most important artists. Also, we have something in Basel which we have nowhere else, which no one else has, which is the unlimited, the possibility to do 200,000 square feet worth of massive projects. And that gives a dimension to the fair, which I think is unparalleled in, within the, the universe of art fairs. 
I mean, for comparison's sake, the Venice Biennial Curator has about as many square feet to play with as the Art Basel Unlimited Curator. Um, and I don't think it's fair to make the comparison, except at that level, between a biennial and an art fair. But certainly, Unlimited gives a possibility for a kind of ambition of project and a size of project and, a, frankly, projects which, are, which would be disturbing in the context of a fair, which are loud or noisy or explosive or unsettling, to, you know, which don't, so to speak, play well with others, which you can't put in a fair hall because you would destroy the business all of the galleries all around it. Um, and of course, very importantly, the Basel Fair takes place in Basel. And Basel has been, for centuries, a cultural capital within Switzerland and within Europe. I mean, the Kunstmuseum Basel, which will be expanding in one month, um, to a new building, um, is the oldest art museum in the world. And likewise, you have incredibly strong privately funded institutions like the Beiler Foundation and the Schaulager. So you have not just the fair and the unlimited possibility, but also an incredibly rich and deep and traditional cultural environment. All of that taken together as a package creates this sense of that uh, fair being um, a very serious, uh, uh, exclusive, maybe not in access, but in that, uh, you know, the, the rush to get in, that this is the time where you're going to get uh, uh, access to just the right thing and have to make a decision right there. But in expanding to uh, Miami, you did something either intentionally or by nature of the city and all very different where it's a fair, almost inverting all of that, where it's massive amounts of access. It's a, it's a huge art party, and it uh, has done, I think, more in the last 15 years uh, than any other single th thing to expand the public participation in art as uh, a participation sport, as it uh, were. Uh, and, and it's always fascinating to me that, that you can have this kind of, these two poles, both of which for this global art economy are necessary, but, but they, they don't seem, they seem to have stayed polar that way. I'm going to dis respectfully disagree with half of your question. Um, I totally agree that, that the show in Miami Beach has had a tremendous impact on the city and that it brings a dimension to the city that isn't there otherwise. I would say that the party aspect of Miami Beach was there before we came and is there the rest of the year. And I would say that if you focus on the part of that week that we actually control, which is to say the fair halls, you have a very similar rigor of selection and of exhibition. And I think that's a fair that has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger during the time that I've been there and was already very strong when I arrived seven years ago. Um, so I think you can't change the city that's around it. You couldn't change Basel into a party town, and you can't change Miami into a sober Swiss city, just like you can't change Hong Kong from being anything which is what, than what it is, which is to say a world-class metropolis which is drawing from all over the region and all over the world every day of the year. Well, I, I want to hold on on Hong Kong because you know there's so much interesting about building infrastructure and all, all there. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting that it's a bad thing the, that there's the, the party uh, in Miami. In fact, I think it's the other way around. It, it's not just Miami. You have people from all over North and South America descending on that city who have 
very little participation in, in the art world at any other time. Uh, but it's important to them and it uh, uh, has an impact on them and they bring it back to wherever they're going. And it may be coincident with the growth of you know, people's interest in contemporary art, but it certainly has tracked in that same period of time this massive growth in contemporary art. And I would think it's somewhat uh, a, a transmission belt. It's been a, a necessary uh, part of all of that, that, that art doesn't have to be um, in a mountain town that you have to make a trek to, that it can be uh, ebullient and um, fanciful and people have adapted to participating in it. You know, one of the reasons the fair's there is you've got great private collections there, there who have done a lot to create that party atmosphere. They're certainly, you know, uh, uh, using it for its best. I mean, let's face it, the factory was also a party. You know, I mean, people were drawn, people have been drawn to the art world because it isn't a sober, sedate, predictable space. And I think, I think it's always tricky and somewhat simplistic to judge why people come. I mean, for me, if people come to Miami because it sounds like fun and they have the means to collect and they start collecting, why not? You know, I think what's interesting to me is that the way this has evolved. I think there was a lot of concern about this at one point. And as Miami became bigger, um, you had this kind of choose your own adventure Thing. People got the experience. They realized you could go to Miami and actually have, you know, you could do yoga in the morning and go for a walk on the beach and then go to the fair or go, go to a private collection and then go to the fair and then have dinner at one of the many great restaurants that now exist in Miami that didn't used to exist and go to sleep by midnight. You can also go out all night until 6 in the morning, sleep five hours, and then roll into the halls at 4 p.m., you know, and then do the same thing for a week. I mean, there are many different versions of, of how this works. And I think um, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think the comparison that I make frequently is to the Cannes Film Festival in France, in the sense that Cannes, like Miami Beach, is one of the most important industry events. A lot of really important business happens for the arts in Miami. A lot of museum groups are there, a lot of biennial uh, participations are secured. A lot of major museum directors are present. Um, great collections are built. And at the same time, there are people who never enter the halls. And the city is big enough that it can support that. You know, with the other thing I would say about Miami is in the last two or three years, Miami has developed a level of sophistication with some of the new hotels and restaurants that we have many people now who are coming to Miami not for the first time for the fair, who have a relationship with Miami already, you know, especially Europeans, and they already have a favorite restaurant, they already have a favorite hotel, whereas it used to be that people would come for the first time because of Art Basel. And so in a sense, I think, you know, we have been very important for the growth of Miami as a sophisticated destination, but the growing sophistication of Miami also helps us at this point. The, it's the, really turned a corner. In that same period, yeah. Miami has become much more, it, it's always been international, but more diverse in its international. Absolutely. Many more Europeans than mm -hmm. used to be there. Uh, certainly plenty of South Americans and, and, uh, and so on. Well, I, I was going to make the joke earlier. Some people may go um, 
uh, go to bed at six o'clock in the morning and get up uh, at uh, four in the afternoon and others may uh, uh, do the reverse, but Noah's doing around the clock while he's there. Well, for I, the I think the time. other thing to be said for Miami um, to the point of the seriousness of it, and this is something that I would have said before, but I've seen more and more now is actually in a, in a sense the development of a really new collector class in a way that didn't usually come, weren't necessarily going to Basel, they weren't always going to New York to the galleries here. Um, but they're coming now to Miami, and that's their entry point. Uh, and that, as a dynamic, specifically as it relates to the broader market of the Americas in its entirety, as well as an international element, is also pretty interesting. So that it becomes an access point and a gateway. Uh, I think that's also true of people who aren't um, necessarily buyers. But there are many more people coming to participate, go through the fair, see the art, who um, uh, are, are appreciative of the art, want to participate in it, but aren't necessarily uh, uh, collectors. And again, they go back and talk uh, uh, to many people about it. And it's part of what's been spreading interest in contemporary art. I mean, I, I think that that's true, but I think then more substantively, you know, I mean, the fair wouldn't be the success of it is if people weren't really, you know, I mean, either doing business or creating new business opportunities, by which I mean new exhibitions, new types of interactions. I mean, one of the interesting um, uh, comments that we heard from a, a major European museum director who was here, who was there this year, you know, said that he really, you know, he's also going because there's just so many other types of interesting entrepreneurs. There's a, a, a sort of different level of kind of corporate partner that wants to get involved with the arts that adds another layer of value for being there. That again further differentiates what's happening in Miami Beach for another, uh, you know, from other other places throughout the year. And that's equally, in, in many ways, uh, you know, an important thing um, you know, for the development of, of what, what our show is. Well, I think that's an excellent point. This whole um, luxury brand commercial interest in the art world as being associated with it, uh, whether it's fashions, uh, you know, fascination with, with uh, art, or just the sort of luxury salesman uh, aspect of it. Miami seems like it's much more, there's more of that going on where in, in Basel, the, the art is. I, I think that that's true. And I think it also, I mean, in a way, you could maybe argue that it helps further, you know, it shines an even greater lens on, you know, what art fairs are in their pure sense, which is, you know, the, the transactional element is key, but it's something beyond that as well. And then the conveyor belt for all these different aspects becomes more and more important. And it's not, I mean, it's both about sales, but it's about new context, connections, ideas, both for what's happening there in a, in a broader way. If you analyze the way the week rolls out, what's interesting is that I would say from Tuesday to Thursday, it's primarily the people who are core art world, the people who have some sort of day-to-day -day con connection to the art world, including as highly engaged collectors. Starting from Thursday until the end of the fair, you have a gathering of the American and Latin American creative class. Actors, musicians, designers, architects. This is the fair that they come to see. And to exactly to Noah's point before, this is a place where everybody from those different creative classes meets each other. And I think it's, it shouldn't be underestimated how valuable that is and will be for galleries and artists at a moment where we're seeing more and more people cross over not in a sellout sort of way, but crossover in terms of saying like, wow, why don't we look at the materials research that people are doing in other fields? Why don't we think about what we could do with architects? So I think the fact that in a way that none of the other fairs, and I would argue no other fair in the world, 
has the Miami Beach show really gathers people who are actively creating every day, whether it's in the art world or in other places. No, and, and the fact that the art is there. You know, we see a version of that at Burning Man, which is you know, uh, ostensibly about art in, in its, its own way, but it doesn't have the art world at its center the way Miami does. And it's clearly been successful. And, and through each iteration, uh, even though people grumble occasionally about you know, one uh, affair or another, it, it, it doesn't seem to be flagging in any way. I mean, let's, you know, let's be serious, let's be honest. This is an event where regular, the regular attendees range from Tom Campbell and Michael Govan to Jay-Z and Kanye. You know? And that's a very, very, very broad range of the American creative class. Nope. So having achieved all of that, you now have the opportunity to uh, build a fair in Hong Kong. You're on your second year, fourth year. Uh, we, we, we bought, the history is that we, MCH Group, which owns Art Basel, bought Art HK in 2011. In 2013, we named it Art Basel in Hong Kong because we took that time to do, to put the steps in place to raise it to the level that we thought was required by, to bear that name. And so this next, in three weeks, we'll have the fourth edition. And starting from scratch, as it were, I mean, you took over a fair, yeah. but starting from scratch in a, a part of the world that has shown an intense uh, interest in art, yeah. but has none of the art infrastructure. I, I suppose in some ways it's slightly similar to Miami. Right. But it's well, it has not, a different infrastructure. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh, Talk about that. What do you mean it's a different infrastructure? Well, I mean, to say that, I mean, it's an entire other half of the world. I mean, I think one of, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. I think Mark will have a different perspective on this. But I've attended that show regularly prior to Basel, you know, prior to becoming Art Basel. And what's interested me consistently is just that, you know, there's a whole parallel universe of people that are part of a totally different infrastructure or cultural ecology from Australia to New Zealand to Kyoto to mainland China that exist and are doing in many ways a lot of what we're doing here, but we didn't know that they exist and they didn't know that we exist in the same way. Now the gallery infrastructure is pretty different and that's something that's developing and, and I think you know the presence of Art Basel in Hong Kong can help really elevate that and take it in a in a you know in an interesting direction. But um, you know, I think there's something that's there. It's just been articulated differently than it was for many years in the West. I mean I, I think there are many different ways to come at this, but um, to address Noah's point, I think what's really interesting is that the history, the history of our balls was that we work directly with galleries. And when you look at Asia, Asia is at many levels, whether you're talking about language groups, its size, the religions, the colonial or non-colonial histories, the most diverse continent in the world. And that's also reflected in the history of galleries. You, know, you have places like Korea and Japan, where you have a fairly traditional gallery structure and even very strong ties to the West. You have places like Indonesia where even today there are very few galleries, although it's an immense nation with a highly active group of artists. Um, Australia, much more classical gallery structure. Mainland China, I mean, I remember when I first went there 10 years ago, it was extremely rare for an artist to feel any kind of consistent relationship with the gallery. They would do a show, 
and they would sell the same work out of the studio at the same time as the show. And after six months, they would take everything that was unsold back to the studio, and then they would do another show with a different gallery. And what's interesting is the extent to which the Art Basel show in Hong Kong, with its presence in Asia, has helped to, to really help to redefine the relationship between artists and galleries in that region. And a lot of artists who didn't really see the point of having an enduring relationship with a gallery have started to see that point. It's much more common in China, for example, for people to have a running relationship with a gallery, and then that gallery will develop other relationships with galleries in other parts of the world. And so I think we went into a region which either had no gallery infrastructure or a gallery infrastructure which was completely subsumed by the power of the auction houses around it. And so in a sense, we were fighting from very far behind in some areas and having to create a dynamic in other places, which was much more com which was more common to the West, you know. Um, well, or, or to take that even further, or a gallery infrastructure that was pretty internalized. So you had something happening, but it wasn't really plugged into the broader international context in the same way. And, and you didn't have collectors across these various countries. I mean, we have seen it's actually been fairly recent, like the last eight or nine years, the creation of uh, you know. 20th century or 21st century, you know, contemporary uh, Asian art, where you have people buying uh, uh, work from the Philippines, from Indonesia, I mean, the same collectors from uh, uh, Japan and China. It's not just contemporary Chinese art or, you know, uh, uh, contemporary Malaysian art or something of that. I think what's interesting is you have a couple different types of things which are resulting. One of the most encouraging moments for me after we bought Art HK, which was a huge step and one that could have gone very badly wrong, um, was to visit the Howard Rutowski collection for the second time there in, in Dallas. And the first time I'd gone, it was a lot of fantastic Arte Povera and a lot of more recent American painting, especially abstraction. And when I went the second time, there was a lot of Monaha and Gutai which had been integrated, and it worked really well. You know, and, and to see that you could really have a coherent, trans-Pacific collection at the highest level was really interesting. But to come to your point, I think one of the things that's, that's which is quite perceptive, because it's something a lot of people don't get, is that what we're doing in Hong Kong is not just about going from east to west and west to east. It's also be going within Asia. I mean. When we started to dig in, we realized that, for example, the Australian scene was much closer to the British scene than it was to the Japanese scene. And that the Japanese and the Koreans were following each other very closely, but not talking so much to the Chinese. And depending on how you break it down, you have six or seven really different cultural clusters within that continent, which are now starting to get bridged to each other within the context of the Hong Kong show. And that's a really fascinating dynamic to be part of. And I think that's part of what I mean by infrastructure, that because there are no, uh, you know, there are plenty of museums in uh, Asia, but they tend to be uh, imperial museums of one sort or another. They, they're different from being contemporary art mu museums, and they are building some in Hong Kong uh, specifically, but there's lots of private museums being uh, built. I mean, they, they are, it's not, you know, the West bringing something to them, they are doing the same thing that we're doing here and have caught up very rapidly in what wasn't a very big leap ahead. You know, the private collections of the size we have now aren't terribly old. They're, you know, 20 or 30 years old at their oldest. Uh, and in Asia, there's some that are, you know, 10 uh, years old now. But, but we're seeing that these similar things in different pla places, it's more, you know, 
that creative class in Asia, there is one, and it's probably expanding at a rapid uh, uh, rate. Are they showing up at the fair? I guess that is the sort of follow-up question. To, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think I've been struck by how quickly it has happened. I mean, people always say Asia is faster, um, and that the defining characteristic of Asia is speed. And I think I've still been surprised by how fast we're reaching the point where Hong Kong in March, the third week of March specifically during Art Basel, is where people who are not even connected to the arts, but just connected to a certain level of society or otherwise within the creative class, feel like they need to be present. I mean, I think it's telling that the major Amphar Gala in Asia is taking place during or right before Art Basel in Hong Kong every year, bringing together those people from all over. You know, I mean, I went to a gala last year um, where the crowd was 90% mainland Chinese and the highest level of socioeconomic elite. I don't think more than 20% of them were actual collectors, but they were there because that was the place to be. You know, at any given moment, on any given day, there is a place to be, whether it's Davos or Cannes or Montreux or Coachella or whatever, St. Bart's right before Christmas, that's the place to be in Asia at that moment. And I think, you know, it's easy to denigrate people and say, oh, they're here for the wrong reasons, it's social climbing, it's social status. For me, anything that brings potential buyers into contact with the art world is a good thing. You know, and obviously they have to come on our terms. You know, we don't, we're not going to make sort of accessible art to, you know, to try to pull them in. But I think, you know, these are intelligent people. And if, if exposed, many of them can become fantastic patrons. Look, and, and value in art is social. It, uh, uh, you know, the reason we have these museums is so that people can go and see the, the, the work. If it, if, if it doesn't draw them in, there's nothing instructive about, about it. It has no value Well, but, but that social dynamic also creates a certain sense of you know, the presence or the moment. And it creates a dynamic that makes it successful within the halls. It gets people out. It gets people excited. And I think that that's what's, you know, what's interesting is that it's happening in a way almost organically. That it's it's all part and parcel of of, of this broader thing, and, and but the the fair is equally vetted, but the vetting isn't nearly as important in that context, it, or, or am I wrong about that? Well, I I it, I think you're attracting a lot of the same people because you have a high quality fair, but they don't necessarily think in terms of oh I know this was vetted. That's not for present or oh, front no, of no, mind to them. I would completely disagree with that. I would say if if anything, you know. Um, the reputation of Art Basel means that a lot of people who would otherwise hesitate to buy with galleries will do so because they feel like the fact that a gallery is in Art Basel means it has been through a thorough selection process, that you know, its ethics have been checked in some way, that they are, you know, it's a serious gallery with serious artists, and that they, there's a certain degree of trust that allows them to buy from a gallery that they haven't done business with before. And I think that's true of all of the shows. But I think especially in a continent where there isn't a long history of people having familial relationships with galleries and gallerists over generations, the fact that this comes under the umbrella of a globally known organization is important and gives a certain degree of confidence to people to start engaging in discussions. And then afterwards, 
they're going to do their research and they will do intense research. You know, I've heard many stories from people who had an Asian collector come onto their stand, discover an artist, and say, you know, I'm interested, I'll come back tomorrow. And the next day they come back and they say, I really want this artist, I don't want this period, do you have anything from that show that you did four years ago? Because they, or someone they worked with, spent all night Googling and looking through research and looking over Artnet and that kind of thing to figure out what exactly was the right thing for them. I think the, the greatest mistake people have made was to bring lower quality work, to think they could just empty their inventory into Asia. It doesn't work and it's very badly taken. I think you know, if you want to succeed in Asia, you, the person with the name on the door, had better be in the booth and you better bring the work that is at the same level as what you would bring to any other major international show. Because if you don't, your neighbors will and they will beat the pants off of you. Uh, the, several people had this problem in South America of, uh, you know, bringing work to uh, uh, South America that was immediately sophisticated collectors knew exactly that it was not the best work and it maybe had the best prices on, uh, on it. I mean, I think you certainly see that dynamic in Miami as well. Um, I mean, the one thing that Mark hasn't touched upon in Hong Kong, which has always struck me, which I think is pretty amazing, is, you know, given the scale of the industry that we work in, it, it's very expensive, you know, for galleries from Asia to come to the Miami Beach Show, even to go to Basel. So, you know, up until Art Basel's presence in Hong Kong, a lot of the galleries that we might have been familiar with, we only knew a little bit through smaller booths, often with one or two artists in these other shows. And what the Hong Kong show enables is galleries, you know, important galleries from Beijing or Guangzhou, uh, Seoul, wherever, to be side-by-side -side major Western galleries in a large booth where they can really show their program. And that actually, as a visitor, is incredibly important because it really equalizes or it normalizes the playing field and it allows them to do things on their home turf, so to speak, that they, you're just not accustomed to seeing anywhere. And that, as a, as a gateway to understanding how that market works, I think is super important for, for collectors, but also for curators, for the press, who up until that point in time have only shown a small selection of these galleries at international shows and a very specific, tighter, smaller portion of their program. So I'll tell you an interesting backstory to this incredibly important point that Noah made. When we got involved with the Hong Kong show, and it was still Art HK, we walked around the fair floor and people said, it's so westernized, it's such a western fair, it already has the Basel stamp on it, which was absurd because we bought it three weeks before the show. So obviously we had no impulse. And so we really dug around and we said, you know, it's not actually the number of galleries, it's precisely to Noah's point, at that time, the Asian galleries, because they didn't have a history of fairs in Asia, were taking smaller booths to play it safe or the same type of booth they would take. And I literally went to a dozen of the most important galleries in Asia and said, this is your continent. You need to represent your strength in this continent. You are as important a gallery in this continent as White Cube or Hauser and Verger Gagosian. And you need to have that reflected in the size of your booth and the ambition of your displays. Great sales pitch. I think it's critical to the, to, to the, to the fair success that those galleries, that, that when you're in Asia, you feel the power of those Asian galleries. Well, and did most of them step up and do that? Absolutely. Yeah, but also it's just from a signaling mechanism, you know, and, and, and a market where pricing and the whole notionality of value is so, um, so difficult to pin down. You know, that signaling aspect to collectors, to curators, to institutions, to press, anybody that's coming there is really important. 
And, and, and it goes a long way in a substantive way, and I think you know, in a way that they found to be more and more sustainable, which is what it's all about. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons that art fairs have become so important is that it, it takes these various galleries and puts them on, if not an equal footing, at least in a, uh, a, a contiguous mm. line yeah. that allows someone to strip away the other things and look at the art and the, the selection and the choices in that context rather than the one of, you know, leaving one location a week or two yeah. later, showing up at another and on mm -hmm. wall. And I'm sure there are plus and minuses to it, but it's been a big plus, I think, for a lot of uh, both galleries and the large majority of people who are passing through, yep. this is their way of learning and seeing rather than having to go to an address somewhere. Yeah. Or, or there's also a symphonic quality to a good fair in the sense that I think you can see each booth as playing its own kind of tune. And it's also why we put so much emphasis on having the best booth possible from each gallery because I think, let's face it, buying art is not a human need. It may be a human addiction, but it's not a human need. It is not something you need in the same way that you need water or shelter or food or air. And I think you want to create an environment which encourages people to become patrons of the arts, to be patrons of the arts, to remain patrons of the arts. And I think precisely the fact that you have all of these galleries in a co relatively coherent setting and what makes them stand out is their booth and not you know, the ceiling they have or the building they're in. I think allows people to, to find works that they love. And I think, I always say, if you, if, you have three gal if you have three booths in a row which are of poor quality, by the time you get to the fourth booth, you question whether buying art makes sense at all. But that same fourth booth, after three great booths, of work that you wouldn't buy because it's not your style or it's out of your price range or it doesn't fit your collection, by the time you get to that fourth booth, if you've seen three great booths, by the time you get that fourth booth, you're really excited for something that you can own. And I think there's this kind of, this is where I think this kind of symphonic, symphonic quality or this choreographic quality or this impressorial role that we play as fair directors becomes really, really, really important. You know, I think a bad booth doesn't just hurt the gallery itself, but all of the galleries around it. So let's, let's <laughs> talk about that because in, um, you, you gave a talk at uh, Talking Galleries in Barcelona and you, you um, sort of late in the, the conversation, or maybe even in an answer to a question, you made a comment about uh, seeing what you do as sort of creating a federation of uh, galleries in a, in a way that by participating, these individual ga galleries get to, uh, I don't wanna say an economic size, but they get to, a, uh, they have the benefits of a much larger organization. Um, and, and just some, some details so we can think about it. Across all three fairs, there are 500 galleries. Exactly. And there, uh, is there any overlap between the three fairs? Is there anyone who does all three fairs? Of course. But, so there are galleries. There are many, many galleries. There are dozens of galleries that do all three fairs. So, so uh, you've got a constituency that's with you mm -hmm. in every location. Yeah. And then you've got some that maybe do one or two, and yep. then each locality has the bulk is, is just doing that one fair. So there's Not even. I, I think the Hong Kong is the one that has the most galleries who do only Hong Kong. And even there, it's probably only about 100 or so out of the nearly 250. Um, I should double check these numbers because they change. But the point is, anyway. The, the, the rough, the rough sorry, the minor, mean, the, a large minority, but still the minority, still. are just doing what, that local fair. Right. 
and there's so you really are creating a, yep. a confederation of gal of global galleries and collectors well, and collectors <laughs> yeah, which also gets more interesting if you start tracking it over a number of years because the reality is that in any given year it's 500 but then if you do it for three to five years there's a lot of different galleries that are in with an interesting project here or there so the universe in a sense actually is is even larger in terms of the people that we directly touch on a fairly regular basis and, and do you have a sense of, you know, what that represents in terms of the global gallery population? I, I, don't know I mean, gallery is, gallery is a, such a big word. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you start counting rug galleries and stamp galleries and galleries that are, yep. I mean, you know, I think, no. I mean, it's a very small proportion of every single gallery. I mean, if you start counting all this Western art galleries in Santa Fe, it's it's a very small proportion. But I think it's, those galleries, those hundreds of galleries that we deal with on a yearly basis or on a, you know, over the course of two or three years, are the galleries who I think between them represent the most important artists working today and the most important, important artists working over the last 12 decades. One or more of those galleries will represent every, well, any, any artist who's doing major museum shows, major biennial appearances, et cetera. You know? So I think it's, it's less about the proportion of the total gallery world and more about the, the sort of the, the group of people who are sustaining the most important artists and the legacies of the most important artists. And, and so how does the Federation itself work? Uh, you know, e even in the sort of just a metaphoric uh, sense of, of it being a fe Federation, is it just the, the fact that the fair is there, it's gonna be there next year, that you have a yeah. close bond with all these collectors, or is there something more to this idea of a federation? In a sense, it's a federation because what's happening is that people are bringing together power. They're bringing together collectors. They're bringing together artists. And what's happening is that the sum is more than, is, is the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. I think what we do for our galleries and their artists is what auction houses do for their consigners and their objects, which is to say that we create a place where the potential market for all of those artists and all of those galleries is much higher than anything they could achieve just by themselves. And in a sense, you could say that there's a calculated risk a gallery takes by going to a fair. That by bringing their artists to a fair, by bringing their collectors to a fair, they share them with the rest of the world. And the calculation is, that they will gain more by being in contact with other galleries' collectors than they lose by exposing their collectors to other galleries. And I think this is actually true. I don't think it's a zero-sum game at all. I think synergies are incredibly strong. You have the synergies between our fairs. I think that because our fairs are so different from each other at some levels, because they attract different galleries and different collectors, and then those collectors and those galleries go to the other fairs, you get this kind of giant global synergy going on. Um, I've been stunned, for example, by how many Asian collectors go to Miami Beach and go to Basel now since we started doing the show in Hong Kong. These are people who would never even leave their own country to come to a fair. And then they started going to Hong Kong and they realized how much access it gave them to other galleries and other artists and other people with whom they could work at various levels. And then they said, okay, let's go see what this is like in Miami. Let's go see what this is like in Basel. So the other thing that's really important is that galleries meet each other at fairs. 
And you see gallerists walking around a fair a lot, and one of the things they're trying to do is check out the competition. But I think what they're also looking for artists they might work with. And I think that one of the definitive aspects of the modern contemporary art system is that you are not bound by your country. That you can be a famous Mexican artist who has no gallery in Mexico because you've got a gallery in Japan and in Berlin and in Singapore. And that's what gallerists do. They look around, you know, and they often Two, people, two galleries next to each other, just because there's this like, hey, can you watch my stand while I go to the bathroom thing, suddenly start working together. Well, I mean, to, you know? go, to go one step further, I think one of the most redeeming parts as a fair director of the success of the fair is, you know, it's not about sales per se, it's about, you know, a year later, exactly as Mark was just saying, the guy that went to the bathroom and the other guy was watching his stand all of a sudden is doing a show with one of his artists in a totally different continent. And for us as fair directors to see that dynamic happening, is pretty amazing. And so the, there's the networking aspect of it. You know, I think the other interesting thing moving forward is this cross-pollination element, you know, in terms of my remit here. I mean, Mark was mentioning a moment ago, you know, there were a number of important groups from Australia, Korea, et cetera, that were coming to Miami Beach this year. You know, moving forward, I think, you know, and I'd like to think anyway, that we're gonna see more people from this part of the world, more museum groups going yeah. to the show in Hong Kong. That's a gateway for them, you know, to the Asian market. They go there, maybe six months later, a year later, they go to the galleries as well, you know. Are you facilitating that through uh, your VIP program, just, uh, or is that just happening because, hey, you know, we had a good time in uh, Miami this year, let's, next year, let's go, go to Hong Kong, that'll it, be a it's, it's an organic process. So it's clearly facilitated insofar as possible through the VIP program, but the more time that we, representing Art Basel, are traveling around the world and visiting galleries and collectors and institutions in these cities, the more that these types of things occur. Um, you know, and that, that's a pretty powerful thing. And, you know, we can provide access to very interesting places and to great collect other collectors too. They're also going to meet other collectors yeah. from other parts of the world. It's one of the great things. As an interesting collector from Chicago, you can go to Basel and meet people from all over the world internationally. You can go to Hong Kong likewise. And that's another side benefit of just being present at these fairs. In Miami, you can go and see their collection, you know, the yeah. big massive collection, uh, you know, whatever they have on. But you can yeah. do, but what I'm saying is, you know, beyond just going to the Rubels to see what show they're doing this year, one of the great parts of being there is also meeting people from all over the place just over a cup of coffee. And, you know, we often find these people end up becoming really good friends. Um, so it, it's just another aspect of what we provide and what the value is sort of fundamentally within what an art fair is. But that the value is, you, I think you said it earlier, it's, it's almost the branding of it. It's the sense that under this umbrella of something that you have some trust and uh, positive experience and know that the same level of detail is going to be taken care of in this other location makes it a lot easier to get on a plane and go sure. to Hong Kong or vice versa. Uh, if you're curious or if you've heard about uh, these things. I, I think, you know, I think it's, it's interesting in a sense. The closer you are to the core of the show, the more similar the Art Basel experience is. You know, you can assume if you're going to an Art Basel show that someone will have thought through the signage, that someone will have thought through the restaurants, that someone will have built a VIP program, that, that the walls will be straight and the lights will, will function and that things will start on time 
and so on and so forth. You know, also, if you're one of our museum directors or patrons who, who is coming to all of our shows, you can talk to the same person who will say, let me connect you. you know, oh, you want to go to Hong Kong and then you want to go to Japan? Let me connect you to my colleague in Japan who can help set you up to visit a museum, to help set you up to visit a collector. Because this is one of the things that's really happening is people are doing a grand tour. They're going to Hong Kong and then they're going to the Philippines or then they're going to Japan or then they're going to Shanghai or then they're going to Guangzhou. And I think that's, that's a really important factor. And then what's interesting is, so you have the core of the show, kind of the, the raw infrastructure, which is very standardized, because basically we're trying to do it at a world-class level all the time. And then the booths, of course, start to be more different from each other, because you have a show which is 50% Asian galleries in Hong Kong, and 50% Latin and American, Latin American galleries, and American galleries in, in Miami Beach, and then European galleries in Basel. And then, of course, you get out into the city. You know, then I think that's where it gets much more different from each other because in you know, Miami is this kind of Mediterranean Latin city with a very strong history of private collectors and slowly a more stronger infrastructure of public museums. Basel, of course, has this great museum history. And then what's interesting about Hong Kong is you have so many galleries. You know, this is the big difference when you look at our three shows. Hong Kong is, is notable for the absence of museum infrastructure but for the presence of galleries. We have something like two dozen galleries from Hong Kong that do the Hong Kong show, whereas in Basel and in Miami Beach, you have a handful. And why is that? Just because there are galleries springing up in Hong Kong? Because galleries are springing up in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is a place where, if you're going to start a gallery in Asia, it's a good place to start. And I don't just mean as a European, like Simon Lee or Massimo Di Carlo. I also mean you know, the people from Platform China, for example, you know, came and started a gallery there. And I think, or, um, well, the Korean auction houses or, or, moved down to... to exactly. Purchase. I mean, Hong Kong is a good place to do business. And it's a place, and it's precisely why we chose this place, it's a place where Asia is comfortable. You know, it's, it's a truly pan-Asian city where anybody from Asia is comfortable, where anybody from Australia and France and, and England is comfortable. And I think also it has, you know, it has tax advantages. It has, um, you know, it has a, a legal system based upon the British legal system. It's a good place to do business. Which is not a small feature. That is no, it's not a small feature at all. Uh, and, and do you see the growth of Hong Kong is sort of on the track like Miami? Do you see it in sort of being its own thi thing? What's, what's the future of that particular fair just because it's the, the newest of, of your fairs? I think like Basel and like Miami, the Hong Kong show will be very much defined by the city and the region that it's in. Um, there are similarities to Miami in the sense that I think the, the cultural infrastructure is growing around us and with us. You know, we have M Plus coming famously, but we also have Central Police Station coming. We have Spring Workshop. We have the Asia Archive that's been there forever. The Asia Society opened a brand new building a couple of years ago. We have galleries coming from all over the region. Um, and I think that's, that's growing, you know, obviously. I think the fact that, you know, that Asia is becoming ever more important economically and that Hong Kong is one of the great gateways to Asia will define it. Um, you know, I don't, I, I think in a sense, uh, we will be part of a cultural growth there. But I mean, it's not like we catalyzed it any more than we catalyzed what happened in Miami Beach. There was something there and we jumped in and we're helping it to grow just like it's helping us to grow. And that may be the perfect place to, to stop. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Uh, Noah, thank you too. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 